Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak to your people here today. Please, Father, give me the words that you want me to say to them. Help them, therefore, that they would listen with their ears and hearts open to receive your word. Help us, dear Father, that we just have a good time. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, wow, wow. You know, I've, I've been up here several times. I've done the announcements. This is my first message. So if today is your first time visiting with us today, don't judge uh, the messages uh, of this church based on what you hear today, because uh, <clears throat> this is my first time. So quite naturally, I'm not going to be as good as the other messengers that have been here. But uh, when I came up and did the announcements, I was going to be up here for five minutes at most. And I said, how hard could it be to just you know, do two, three announcements. Like, it's just, just another 10, 15 minutes, right? You should be. But what I didn't realize was a message is a lot different than just doing the announcements. But Pastor Chip set the table for me um, quite perfectly. He says, uh, we're just going to remember what happened at 9-11. So if we're remembering what happened at 9-11, if you see me looking sad or nervous or anything, I'm just remembering what happened 9-11. So that, that's what happened. <laughs> That's what happened. All right, so I just want to say thank you for all of you who are here today. The Lord brought you here, and I'm hoping that he's going to speak to me. And um, the message that you're going to receive today is the message that he wants you to receive. I invited a few of my friends, and um, I've noticed that quite a few of them are here today. Um, we have some Big Ten champions in, in the house. We have, uh, <laughs> um, we have a military pilot in the house. And, um, you know, so they, they came here to support me, and I'm really appreciative of that. And for all of you who don't know me, I'd just like to go ahead and introduce myself. Uh, my name is uh, Thomas Dixon, and um, you might not believe it, but I go by Thomas. Uh, in, in the past, I've, I've used different names like Alethea's husband, and I've used, um, I've even used Pastor Chip one time when he was out of the country, but today, <laughs> today I'm going to go by Thomas. I'm, I'm Thomas Dixon today. I'm one of the life group leaders here at the church. And uh, I love this church. I love the family uh, setting that we have here at this church. As you can tell from my accent, I'm Caribbean. I was born in a beautiful island called St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And I was raised in a Christian home by a single mom. And my mom loved to pray. I would go to bed at night leaving her praying, and then I would wake up in the morning and she'd still be praying. And I wonder if she ever slept at all. But I know she loved to pray. And she also loved the beach. She would wake us up almost every morning at the crack of dawn and take us to the beach. And once we were there, she would say, run from one end of the shore to the other end of the shore. Well, I was the youngest of the siblings. So as much as I love sleeping in, there's one thing I love more, to win. Any of you who know me know that, I love to win. So at first it was hard, but I'd race my older siblings and I'd try to beat them. Eventually I start to win. So although she didn't have the title of coach, my mom essentially was my first coach. And I say that to say, titles are not always necessary. Except, of course, the title of husband. I wear that one proudly, and uh, that one is necessary. So I'm going to always be wearing that one proudly. Long story short, I became a pretty good athlete, went on to compete in the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, got a track scholarship, to the Ohio State University. 
Thank you, thank you. Won several Big Ten championships and settled here in Ohio, and that's why I'm here in Ohio with my Caribbean accent. <laughs> There's a lot more to that story. I'm not, I mean, like, I don't have enough time to tell you my whole story, but if you want to hear more about that story, this is what you do. You cook something that I like, invite me over to dinner, <laughs> and I tell you the whole story. You would even get to hear about me teaching and, and stuff like that. You'd even hear about me working as a CIA, and that's the truth. So there's a lot more to that story. Today, I'm not going to preach to you. I'm only here to bring you a message in the form of a story. No preaching, just a message in the form of a story. In our Christian lives, we want to be more and more like Jesus. And one thing I know about Jesus is he likes to tell stories. Chances are, if I preach to you, it's going to go through one ear and out the other ear. But if I tell you a story, you're more likely to remember the story, right? So I'm going to tell you a story. Today's Bible story is taken in the book of Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. This is a very familiar story, and many of you know it as the story of the prodigal son. But before I even get into the story, I want to lay a little background. The setting for that story is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. Today I'm going to read from the King James Version. So, the New King James Version, sorry. So, let's just turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 15, 1 to 3, or you can follow on the teleprompt behind me. <clears throat> Then all the tax collectors and sinners draw near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eat with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying... All right, so just picture this. Jesus is meeting and eating with tax collectors and sinners. I'm, I'm a little surprised, or I don't know, I shouldn't be, I guess, that the tax collectors and the sinners are in the same bracket. No wonder people don't like to pay taxes because <laughs> it seems like they shouldn't be together. But there they are. They're complaining. The, religious, the Jewish religious leaders are complaining that Jesus is hanging out with sinners. So Jesus spoke to them using these three parables. The parable of the lost sheep in verses 1 to 7, the parable of the lost coin in verse 8 to 10, and the parable of the lost son in verses 11 to 32. Now, Jesus could have used one parable, but for emphasis... He used three parables. Jesus used these parables to teach the Jewish leaders then and to teach us today how he deals with sinners. He's telling us that the way he deals with sinners is, in, is very important, and that is why he used three parables. I encourage you to read all of Luke chapter 15. When you read Luke chapter 15, you would notice that there is a common theme in there. The common theme is something is lost, something is found, and then there's rejoicing. Something's lost, found, rejoicing. Today we are only going to focus on the parable of the lost son. And that story, like I said, is found in Luke 15, 1, I mean 11 to 32. If I were to take a poll today, I would bet that about 90% or more of you would have heard the story of the prodigal son. The story goes something like this. A man has two sons, and one of the sons comes and says, Dad, give me my portion of the inheritance. So the dad divided the inheritance between the two sons, and the younger son took his inheritance, and he went to another country, and he spent it lavishly, and he had some hard times, and then came to himself and says, You know what? I, life was better when I was with my father, so I'm going to go home and be with my father. So he came back home to be with his father. 
When he came home to be with his father, the father received him gracefully. Now, the older son, he heard about this party that the father was throwing for him, and he wasn't too happy. So he refused to participate in the celebrations. Sounds familiar, right? But there's a whole lot more to that story. So if I were preaching to you today, I would have given this sermon a title. I probably would have called it the, uh, the story of the prodigal son. That's what everybody else calls it. Or I could call it the younger son. But remember earlier I said I was the baby. So I don't want to draw attention to myself as the younger son so you could think that I was the one that took my inheritance and went and spent it lavishly. No, 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 no. I'm not calling it the younger son. I could call it the lost son. Or what about the angry son? If I call it the angry son, I'll be drawing attention to the negative aspect of the story. But I don't want to draw anything to the negative aspect of the story because this is just a beautiful story. We don't want it to be a negative sense to it. I could call it the forgiving father. Uh-huh. That's what I probably would have called it, the forgiving father, if I were preaching. But guess what? I won't call it any of those because I'm not preaching today. I'm just here to give you a message in the form of a story. So let's get deeper into the story. The story tells us there was more than one son. If you look in verse 11 in your Bibles or on the teleprompt, it, it says, then he said a certain man had two sons. Now, we don't know how different this story would have been if there was only one son. Because if there was only one son, the father would have been less likely to just give him his inheritance for him to leave. Parents are protective of their only kids. Or, if there was only one son, think about it. If I'm the sole heir to my father's possessions, I ain't going nowhere. So there's a less likelihood that he's going to want to pack up his stuff and move to a far country. So we know that there were more than one son, and we'll come back to that later on. Also, from the story, we can tell the son was entitled to share in the father's possessions. In verse 12, it says, And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. He did not say, Father, is there a portion of goods that belongs to me? No. He already knew. He already knew that a portion of what the father has belongs to him. It didn't even sound to me like he was asking. It almost sounded like he was demanding, give me my portion. But he got his portion. And after he got his portion, the son left and went to a far country. In verse 13, the Bible says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered, together, gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. The story didn't tell us this. But perhaps had he stayed closer to the father things would not have gotten so bad. I believe that word far is very significant. I would like to talk a little bit more about the word far later on in the, in the message. In the New Living Translation, it says distant land. Jesus could have simply said he left and went to another country. But no, he specifically said he went to a far country. And in that far country, he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Also in verse 13, he continued and said, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. For this message, I would like to define prodigal living. Prodigal living is spending money or resources freely, recklessly, wastefully extravagant. Maybe it was because he didn't have to work for it. 
because I'm a firm believer that if you work with what you have, you're less likely to waste it. But when you get it easy and freely, you're more likely to go ahead and waste it. So think about this. Here he is, far away from the Father, being wasteful. That sounds to me like a terrible combination. And guess what? A bad thing happened. In verse 14, the Bible says, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. I don't know. But I'm thinking about this father, a good father. He would have warned his son. He would have said, Son, I know you want to go away, but if you're not careful, bad things can happen. Guess what? We're all kids at one point, so we're not going to listen to what our father said, right? We're just going to do our own thing. So there he was. He went away into a far country, and he spent his money lavishly, and it was all gone. But if you're away from the father, bad things would happen. It doesn't always happen immediately, but eventually it will. Things got so bad that he went to feed swine. In verse 15, the Bible says, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Jesus is such a great storyteller. Feeding swine was one of the most unclean jobs a Jewish boy could imagine doing at that time. Jesus could have said he went and hang out with cattle, sheep, goat, but no, he wanted to paint the picture clearly of how badly things can come, how badly things could be if you go away from the Father. I would have much rather hang out with sheep and goat. Just the sheer smell of the feces from the pig just would not want me to be there. But talking about going from riches to rags. And guess what? No one gave him anything. In verse 16, the Bible says, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Wow. The story continues by showing what usually happens when all your riches are gone. All your friends that you have, or when you have money, they're gone. He is totally hit rock bottom. But here's the turning point of this story. He came to himself. In verse 17, the Bible says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? Sometimes it takes us to hit rock bottom before we come to ourselves. We sometimes see the warning signs, but we refuse to do anything. Here is some good news. When you hit rock bottom, the only place you can go from there is up. In his case, the good news started when he came to himself. Sometimes we never get a chance to come to ourselves. But he heard an inner voice, and he listened, and he came to himself. And when he came to himself, he created a plan of action. In verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. So he started creating a plan of action. He's going to fix the problem right away. He says, he realized that life was better when he was with his father. He had a great father. Even being a servant for his father 
was better than what he had now. He thought about his actions. He realized he has made a mistake. And here is the best part of his story for me. He was remorseful. In verse 18 and 19, it says, And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He was remorseful. He said he would tell his father that he had sinned before heaven and before him. He knew he had messed up. He was sorry for his actions. He took responsibility for his actions. He didn't say, someone caused me to do this. No, he took responsibility. He was the one who did what he did, and he took responsibility for his actions. And then, he took action. In verse 20, it says, and he arose and came to his father. He took action. He did not let his mistake define him. He moved toward correcting his error. You know, there are several lines in this story that I really love. This is probably one of my favorites. So many times we know we have messed up. We know we have made a mistake. We know we need to do something about it. Yet, we do nothing. In this case, he arose and he went to his father. I want to make sure that you're following me. First, he came to himself. Then, he immediately created a plan. He was remorseful, and then he took action. After he took action, he found out the father was waiting for him. In verse 20, the Bible states, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. He did not have to make it all the way back to the father. He was still a great way off, and the father saw him. The son wanted to change, and he took action. The story didn't tell us this, but the father was wealthy. He had resources. Did the father have his eyes on him the whole time? I believe he did. In today's world, the father probably would have been stalking him on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> He probably would have known exactly what he was doing the whole time. But he wouldn't go and bring him home. No, he has to come to himself. He has to make a plan of action. He has to be remorseful. And then he has to take action. There's more good news. The father had compassion on him. Verse 20. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father ran. He did not walk. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He didn't scold him. He didn't say, why did you leave? What did you do with all your riches? No. He had compassion and kissed him. I can only imagine how smelly he was hanging out with swines. But the father didn't do any of those scorning and turning up his nose and like, ew, no. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. He had compassion. And then the father was even more welcoming. In verse 21 and verse 22, the Bible states, And the son said to him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Ha! The father said, Bring out the best robe. Not just a robe. The best robe. And for emphasis, you know, Jesus likes to emphasize, right? And for emphasis, the father said, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The father wanted to send a clear message that his son was well received. Even more, the father threw a party. In verse 23 and 24, the father continues, says, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The father ordered the killing of a calf. Again, not just the calf, the fatted calf, the best one. While he was still there saying, Dad, you know, I've sinned against you, the father's like, bring a fatted calf, bring a robe. Dad, you know, I don't, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a son. The father was already throwing a party. He was celebrating his return. They began to be merry. But not everyone was rejoicing. The older son heard about the party. In verse 25 to 27, the Bible states, Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. You remember earlier when I talked about the common themes in the three parables? This is the rejoicing part of the story. The father threw a party for his son. He was lost. And now he's found. But the older son was angry. In verse 28 to 30, the Bible says, But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came home, son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlot, you killed the fatted calf for him. The, show, the story is showing not everyone is going to be happy when the lost is found. Now, the older son was not happy. When he came in from the field and saw what was happening, the Bible said he was angry, not just upset, not disappointed. He was angry. He told his father, I was here with you the whole time, and you did not as much as give me a little goat to make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, he threw a party. Let's stop here for a second. Can you tell this older brother was really, really angry? He did not say, as soon as my brother came home. He distanced himself from his brother. He said, as soon as this son of yours 
And that's how angry he was. Not my brother, this son of yours. And second, in verse 29, he said, he has never transgressed any of the Father's commandments. Well, that would make him perfect. And both you and I know that is not the case. In Romans 3 and verse 23, the Bible states, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Guess what? The Father could have started to name out all of his transgressions. The Father could have said, remember when you did this, remember you did that, remember did that. Just yesterday you did so and so. This morning, for crying out loud, you did that. But the Father didn't do that. What the Father did instead was the Father showed his, his, younger, his older son some love. He showed love to his older son. In verse 28, 31, and 32, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And he said to him, Son, you are always here with me, and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad. Your brother was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. The older son felt slighted, and understandably so. He was there the whole time. He did not waste his possessions. He did not leave and go somewhere else. I probably would have felt slighted too, right? Because I was there the whole time. You didn't even give me a young goat. So he felt slighted. He didn't come in to enjoy the party. And guess what? The father was happy that his young son came home. The father could have ignored him and just go on with the party, celebrating with his son that just returned. But the father didn't do that. The father went out and pleaded with him. That's a loving father. Remember I said I would have probably called it the forgiving father? That's a loving father. He went out and pleaded with him. And the father reminded him, all that I have is yours. You don't have to be jealous of your brother. Note in verse 32, the father said, father did not say, my son is dead. My son was dead and is alive again. No, he said, your brother the father is always keeping the association with his children, with us. What a beautiful story. Jesus, like I said, is the best storyteller there is. All right. So let, let's just bring this story a little bit closer to home. You see, a story this good needs very little explanation. But like every good storyteller, you have to make sure that the message is received. So... Let's do a little wrap-up to tie it all together. We are all like that younger son. We are all God's children. He is our father. As his children, we are entitled to share in his possessions. At different timed, times in our lives, we are going to take that entitlement for granted. And we are going to stray far away from his love. Whenever we do that and stray far away from God's love, bad things will happen. It may not happen immediately, but eventually it will. Sometimes we are put in a place where God can talk to us. We sometimes even hit rock bottom. All of our friends, or whatever we thought was important, or better than being closer to God, can be gone. Gone. The prodigal son came to himself. He heard an inner voice, and he realized that he needed his father. Then he took action. He did not remain where he was. At some point, we are going to hear that inner voice. 
but we will need to take action. The prodigal son did. He arose. He did not continue doing what he was doing. And while he was still a great way off, the father saw him. Our heavenly father is waiting for us to take action. That's all. He wants us to take action. Just like the prodigal son, his father probably saw him the whole time. He could have gone and bring him home. But no, he waited for him to take action. The father did not walk. In the story, he did not walk. He ran to him. He did not want to wait another second to be away from his son. That is the same with our heavenly father. He does not want to wait another second to be close to us, to be close to you and to me. Imagine the son, clothed in rags, probably still smelling like a pig. Yet the father fell on his neck and kissed him. That is what our Heavenly Father is waiting to do to us. Now, there are members of the church who are probably going to be like that older son. They may think there should not be a great celebration for you because you've made a mistake. But Pastor Chip in this church is building a church that is reflective of heaven. So in this church, you will be welcomed. You will be like that prodigal son. There will be a celebration in this church just as much as in heaven. But you have to take action. In closing, I will say it one final time. I know you've heard it several times before, but I'll say it one final time. I am not here to preach to you today. Today, I'm only here to give you a message. And that message is, one, don't wait until you hit rock bottom to come to the Father. Two, don't let your mistakes define you. You've made a mistake. You're not a mistake. Three, the Father is waiting for you to take action. He wants to show you compassion. Why not take action today? This message didn't have a title. But if you need a title, you can call it this. I don't care. <laughs> I believe that is what the Father said to his son when he came home. The son was there saying, I've sinned, I'm not worthy to be called your son, I don't care. I just, just make me a servant, I don't care. While he was still saying that, the father was already organizing a party. Do you know what that tells me the father was saying with his actions? I don't care. God doesn't care what you did, where you have been, or what mistakes you have made. He just wants to love you and show you compassion. Don't wait until you hit rock bottom. Take action. Take action today. Come to God, your Father, and ask him into your life. You've been a wonderful congregation today. Thank you.